Hello there, you're listening to Context, giving you a biblical perspective on issues of race, inequality, gender, abortion, culture, and so much more with Timba Lamini. How do we love our neighbor in a racialized society? What a week this has been for race relations in our country. Last week, we ended our discussion with the promise that we would discuss this week who our neighbors are and how to love them biblically. Jesus said we are to love God supremely and love our neighbor as ourselves. Watch and listen to what transpired at Jan Falun High School in Randfontein outside of Johannesburg as we unpack this issue in the South African context. Um, so since Friday, eh, since Friday, the things did happen. Okay, Shab, we would have faced lefty just like that, eh? but then the, the white guys did send a, a voice note saying, yeah, this covers what, 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 and this is a cover school and we must go to apartheid, what, what, what. We then, at, uh, we, the learners at 11.60, to the teacher. The teacher said we must leave it just like that. Then the parents of the white kids came in the situation. They went on Facebook, they posted things on Facebook, we reacted, we went and said no, this is wrong what you guys are saying. And then I got threatened saying they're going to kill me. I am not safe here anymore at Jan Falun and the school wasn't so. The racism was there, but it wasn't like it is now. Um, so um, we would just like to say that what happened on Friday is very wrong because uh, why should only the white kids be protected in the school when all of us pay school fees and why are the white children be treated otherwise? And so we as children from Yanfo Yun don't feel safe because parents started treating us and saying that they're going to show us who is the boss of the plus and they're going to kill us, they're just going to bring guns and shoot us. Uh, how are we supposed to feel safe at our own schools uh, where we pay school fees? Why, why don't we deserve to be treated equally? Um, sir, we're not going to complain about a lot of things. We're just complaining about the way we are treated at the school. His boy started everything and then I was the girl who was punched and then nobody came to check up on me if whether I'm okay or not. We have recordings of those boys confessing that they started it. They hoid the Erste club and there's one where one of them is calling us the Kafirs saying that we're not supposed to sit under this tree. No, it's Dian. They said it's Dian. Dian said that we're not supposed to sit under this tree because we are always where they are and this is a tree where this is the tree of the school where we are all supposed to be safe. We're supposed to sit anywhere. I mean, how can we be hit because of we are playing music? They come with camp chairs here. They play music and no one tells them anything. That's this makes me sad and angry at the same time. The school is plagued by blatant racism. Hello and welcome to Context. If this is your first time here, thank you for taking time out to join us. We're going to have a good time learning and equipping so that we can live our best life for Jesus in our context. Racism is not easy to define today. The complexities abound in a variety of different ways. For example, many accused of racism respond with the argument that their actions and aspirations are to do with patriotism or that their claims revolve around matters of ethnic or national culture, or even religion, and not race. Ali Ratanzi, author and professor in sociology at City University London, explains the confusion and complexity of understanding racism by pointing out that the notion of race and its associations with skin color, facial features, and other aspects of physiognomy has been intertwined amongst other things with issues of class, masculinity, and femininity 
femininity, sexuality, religion, mental illness, and the idea of the nation, and crucially, with the development of science. Despite this, it must be noted that at an international convention on the elimination of all forms of racial discrimination, more than 160 countries agreed on the definition of racism as any distinction, exclusion, restriction, or preference based on race, color, descent, or national or ethnic origin, which has the purpose of or effect of nullifying the recognition, enjoyment, exercise on equal footing of human rights, and fundamental freedoms in the political, economic, social, cultural, or any other field of public life. I'm sure you'll agree that what transpired at World School Yan Fu Yun is a clear case of persistent and repulsive racism. To help us with the biblical view, let's continue in Luke 10, where a scribe or a biblical lawyer, if you like, questions Jesus about how he might inherit eternal life. He knows he must follow the Jewish law, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? As Jesus often does, he turns the question of who is my neighbor on its head. Instead answers, who might be a neighbor to me? Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan, where a man, presumably Jewish, is attacked, robbed, and left for dead on the side of the road. A priest and a Levite, both considered honorable to the Jewish audience, passed a man by. Then a Samaritan person belonging to a culture that the Jewish people of the time would have despised takes pity on the man. The Samaritan bandages his wounds takes him to an inn, cares for him, and leaves him money with the innkeeper to continue the care. When Jesus asks which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, acted as a neighbor to the robbed man, the lawyer answers, the one who showed him mercy. Identifying neighbors, it's a question we still ask ourselves today. Who do we show mercy to? More specifically, who should be shown mercy at Yan Yun? What does it mean to be a loving neighbor in such a hate-filled, painful space? The lawyer would have expected Jesus to list the three people in the story walking by as people of the same kin as the injured man. That is, a priest, a Levite, and an ordinary Jewish person. Because this is what a neighbor would have looked like at the time. Somebody who was Jewish. Instead, Jesus inserted someone of a different but similar religion and a different race, if you like, a Samaritan man. To the audience of the time, this was unthinkable. How could there be anything good in a Samaritan? Jesus teaches how love should expand over cultural boundaries and ethnic lines, as a Samaritan is the one who stopped to help. Jews and Samaritans clashed, mainly over religious differences, but also cultural differences, which produced hatred amongst many inside both groups. The Samaritan put aside any negative judgments about the man on the side of the road and chose to delay his errand because he put the man before himself. He was truly loving him as a neighbor. This teaches us that our neighbors are not those who simply look, act, or think like each of us. For the priest and the Levite in the parable, they chose to look the other way. They didn't want to get involved. The priest and the Levite would have worried about purity laws on the way to the temple, and helping this man would have certainly defiled their cleanliness. Sometimes the most religious and most well-intentioned people do that around issues of race. 
They choose not to engage because it's political. In this country, it gets worse. We can argue that some of the most religious people are the most racist. Notice people carrying Bibles and crosses at racist rallies, much like the Ku Klux Klan of the United States. The guys who robbed the man in the story of the Good Samaritan, I would argue at the macro level in South Africa's case, are the centuries-old trio of colonialism, apartheid, and white supremacy. Dig a little deeper and you will understand that racism as a concept in South Africa is a theological problem and not a sociological problem. If you don't know what sociology means, it refers to human relationships. Why do I say racism is a theological problem? Racism in its many forms is sin. Indeed, it is South Africa's original social, economic, and political sin, based on the lie, the myth, the ideology, the doctrine, and the idolatry of white superiority, or the assumption of whiteness as normative, and white privilege practiced through domination over and subjugation of black people. Nobody is born racist. Racism is taught. The children who use racial slurs to describe their fellow students were taught this by their parents and community. What a shame and how infuriating to think some of these communities will call themselves Christians. If you listen carefully to what happened in Yanfil Yun, you will hear statements like, we will show you who is the boss of the plus. In other words, we will show you who is superior in the school. These kids are walking in the footsteps of their parents, where dominating others is doctrine while they lift up their hands and surrender to God on Sunday mornings. Racism assaults the image of God, throws away the Imago Dei, and undermines God's purpose for humanity, clearly stated in Genesis 1 verses 26, to make all humankind in the image and likeness of God and have stewardship together over all the rest of God's creation. Therefore, white supremacy, which condones some people exercising violent dominion over other people God created as equal, offends the creator and is anti-God. You may be listening to this and identify with the priest and Levite, afraid to get your hands dirty in the fight against racism. Or you feel like you don't have enough information to discuss it well and fear you will say the wrong things. I get that. It's uncomfortable. But Jesus never promised his followers comfort. Instead, he calls us to take up his cross. He calls us into relationships with one another, into relationship with people who don't look like us. In fact, Jesus calls us not just to love people of different cultures, but even sinners and people of different beliefs to those of the Christian faith. If you don't believe me, let me explain who are the Samaritans in ancient Israel and what they represent for us today. The Samaritans occupied a country formerly belonging to the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Manasseh. The capital of the country was Samaria. When the ten tribes were carried away into captivity to Assyria, the king of Assyria sent people from Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sapavim to inhabit Samaria. 2 Kings 17 verses 24 and Ezra chapter 4 verses 2 to 11. These foreigners intermarried with the Israelite population that was still in and around Samaria. These Samaritans at first worshipped the idols of their own nations, but being troubled with lions, they supposed it was because they had not honored the God of that territory. So then what happened? A Jewish priest was therefore sent to them from Assyria to instruct them in the Jewish religion. They were instructed from the books of Moses, but still retained many of their idolatrous customs. The Samaritans embraced a religion that was a mixture of Judaism and idolatry. 2 Kings 17 verses 26 to 28. 
because the Israelite inhabitants of Samaria had intermarried with the foreigners and adopted their idolatrous religion, Samaritans were universally despised by the Jews. The Samaritans represent the despised race of our time. So how do we love our neighbor in a racialized society? One, we must first love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest commandment. God placed this as the first commandment and not the second for a reason. In Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, it says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. To love others well, we have to be filled with the love of God first. Our hearts, our souls, our minds must be transformed and focused on the Lord before we can ever love our neighbors selflessly and intentionally. When we love God, we love like God. We ask ourselves whether what we are doing or saying brings honor to Him. If calling someone a derogatory name or depriving someone of justice offends God, then count me out, even if it means that I suffer for it. We must be secure in our identity in Christ. I'm a Christian first before I am black. To be black is not beautiful unless it is biblical, and to be white is not right unless it agrees to the scriptures. Two, repent and speak out against racism. We must repent of both being robbers that inflict racial pain or being bystanders amidst racism. We must repent for not confronting that racist uncle, aunt, mom, dad, brother, sister, or friend who makes racist slurs around the bride or the dinner table. It's not just racist words, but violence against God. The Samaritan's assistance didn't stop with just stopping and bandaging the wounds. He paid for the man's ongoing care. That might not have been easy for him. It cost him. And there's a cost for Christians to live for and be obedient to God. Part of that cost is speaking out for racial justice and financially supporting victims of systemic racism. Back to Yan Fel Yun, Jesus says there is a harsh judgment against those who teach their children to be racist. It is better if they had millstones tied around their necks and thrown into the ocean than it is to lead their children astray. Number three, protest against racism and actively be anti-racist. The Good Samaritan passed and saw a man lying on the ditch, bleeding, with his clothes torn. The Good Samaritan didn't ask if the man might have deserved the beating or what the circumstances were around him being robbed. What he saw was a man in need of assistance. He demonstrated compassion and mercy by tending to the injured man's immediate needs as best as he could, but then got him to an inn where long-term healing could take place. The people who went to Yanfil Yun to protest were mourning in protest with all the students of Yanfil Yun, and by extension all South Africans who have been bruised, battered, and dignity stripped by racism in this country. They were good Samaritans caring for the immediate needs of the hurting. I would love to see the church and mostly our white compatriots not just being like the priest and Levite, but getting their hands bloody with victims of centuries of racial oppression in South Africa. We need more Bears, Nodiers and Joe Slovers powered by the Holy Spirit, showing solidarity with the victims of racism, mourning with those who mourn. The wounds of black people past and present are not as obvious as the man in the parable, but their invisibility doesn't make them any less life-threatening. Our racial wounds are dehumanizing, cause stress, and can lead to all sorts of long-term spiritual, physical and mental health and sociological issues. Number four, build bridges. 
Stop using religion to justify racism. Loving and connecting with other people of other races or cultures and even religions will not defy you. Begin to build or strengthen relationships with people who don't look like you, vote like you, or even believe in what you believe in. Really listen to one another's stories, the difficulties, the heartbreaks, and the joy. Oh, but what if they influence me to compromise my faith? Insulate yourself, but don't isolate yourself. When you are covered by the blood of Christ, you are not afraid of touching the blood of others. Unlike the Pharisees, we are to impact the culture from within, not from without. In closing, I want to encourage you to be doers of the word, not just hearers. The Bible says in James 1 verses 22 to 24 that when we are hearers only, we deceive nobody but ourselves. Amidst rampant racism and hate in this hour, let's ask ourselves, am I the good South African? Next week, we speak to an amazing TED Talk speaker, Tobila Chittenden, who I can't wait to introduce to you. She will help us unpack practical ways we as South Africans can love neighbors as ourselves by showing empathy and thereby collectively gaining the edge without the edge harming others. Trust me, it's going to be good. Until next time, sa lanigashi. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Context. We pray that today's podcast helps you live your best life for God and that you're encouraged to invite others to do the same. If today's discussion was helpful to you, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. In doing so, you will help others learn more about living for God in our context. If you would like to get in touch with us, please contact us on the details in the description. Because truly, context is everything.